the Young and Healthy Podcast. You're listening to the Cincinnati Children's Young and Healthy Podcast. Welcome to Season 1, Episode 7 of the Cincinnati Children's Young and Healthy Podcast. My name is Michael English, and I am your host for today. I'm a member of the communication team here at Cincinnati Children's, and we are happy to bring you another episode. Today, we are going to talk about social re-engagement anxiety. We're here today with Dr. Stephanie Foligno and Dr. Wendy Lopez. Both are psychologists from Cincinnati Children's Behavioral Medicine and Clinical Psychology. So um, I'm Wendy Lopez. I'm a psychologist with behavioral medicine and clinical psychology. I'm currently a staff psychologist three, um, and I provide um, clinical services for inpatient medical units. Um, So when patients um, come into the medical floors with different illnesses, um, I work with them to um, manage anxiety and other kind of factors with their medical illness. And I'm Dr. Stephanie Foligno, psychologist um, in our behavioral medicine and clinical psychology division. I've been a psychologist at Children's since 2009, and I am embedded in our cystic fibrosis team, and I also help train some of our primary care medical residents. All right, thank you. Dr. Foligno and Dr. Lopez, you both wrote a wonderful blog post about social re-engagement. I mean, I'm really excited to hear about it because um, I'm a parent. I have a four-year-old and I have a 22-year-old. And they're both trying to re-engage with friends and activities in different types of ways. So um, please tell me what social re-engagement anxiety is. Well, I think, um, you know, we've, we all have some level of anxiety about social interactions. That's kind of a natural part of life. But what we found um, with COVID and, and people kind of being um, socially disengaged for a long period of time, um, there's, there's a lot of anxiety that's coming about for um, people of all ages with re-engaging, um, you know, being around friends, being around colleagues, being around peers. Um, has been, you know, particularly stressful for a lot of individuals um, as we've kind of sort out how to re-engage safely um, in when we still have an active pandemic. Yeah, and to follow up on what Wendy said, I you know social interactions are kind of complex. You know, interacting with people socially can come really easy to some people, and it can be harder for other people. And when you've had a break from the practice of engaging with people socially, you can get a little rusty. And I think part of this social re-engagement anxiety that a lot of us are feeling is just that we are out of practice. And so some of the kind of ins and outs of communicating with people and being assertive and problem solving, and even engaging like in things that feel kind of conflictual can be really hard. And then when you haven't done this for over a year um, and the most maybe that you have done is with your family or over a screen, now when you're face to face with people, it can be especially hard, um, particularly for kids who have any social struggles at all 
or are kind of in some of those very normal developmental phases where they're very self, you know, they're insecure and they're self-conscious um, and they're trying to do the right thing and they want to, they've missed out on their friends and they want to, you know, feel normal and feel cool and feel like they have a place in their social circle. And so we know that we need to put some steps in place to help people kind of brush off the dust and get back into a comfortable rhythm of inter interacting with um, friends and family and, and colleagues and coworkers uh, to feel good again. I'll give you an example of some of what I've heard from um, patients and families that I work with is um, kids have, have not been having to start a conversation or end a conversation or deal with conflict in real time. And so most of their interactions have been either through a screen or via text where you have time to kind of process and come up with a response or you can end it by ending the call or turning off your screen, which a lot of our um, our kids have been doing is they turn off their screen during school or other social interactions. And when you're in person, you can't do that. And so like navigating that real time produces a lot of anxiety. Um, like Stephanie said, for kids who maybe are a little more on the anxious um, side or have some of those social struggles. And certainly um, our, you know, preteen and teenagers who have spent the last year and a half away from teens at this critical moment where they're kind of developing those skills and kind of honing those more independent social skills. This is, this is a big challenge for them. So, Clearly, um, this issue is being brought on by the pandemic. But in taking a look at the blog post, there was already a name for it. So is this anything that's happened previously? And the reason why I ask that is simply because of the word re-engagement. You know, you, typically, if you have social anxiety, you have social anxiety, and there's not this type of thing that we've experienced over the past year and a half or so? Yeah, I mean, I think that's a great question because, you know, even though it has kind of this long term to it, it's actually not terribly unusual. It just has a name. Um, some examples are, you know, especially the work that Wendy and I do um, in the hospital. You know, these kids come into the hospital for various lengths of stay and they're kind of isolated. And so these are kids who actually do need to step out a little bit from their normal social rhythms and then they need to hop back in. And that can create a lot of anxiety because especially in teenage circles, social interactions move really quickly. And if you're out even for a few hours, you have literally missed out on things. <laughs> so what have I missed out on and how do I get back into it? Um, even like during the summers and such, you know, kids go off and do their own camps and maybe don't see their same friends as often as they used to. So there are some examples where you've kind of paused on things and then you need to pick things back up, right? So if I haven't lifted my tennis racket in a long time and someone hands me a tennis racket and says, go out and play, I'm going to feel anxious. I haven't done it for a while. And what Wendy and I wanted to do in this blog is just to say, this is a really normal feeling. We just need to like pick that racket back up and head back out on the tennis court. Um, it's not that simple. Um, and that's why we know that it's going to take some practice using some of these skills and tips that we offered. 
Yeah, and I think that that even though the re-engagement part might be a little more um, kind of dramatic this time, and and I think widespread because um, I don't know of any other situation where we've had this amount of kind of global social isolation. Um, but I think it's an opportunity for us, an equalizing force, where we've all been through the same kind of thing, and so we can work together and 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 be um you know kind to each other and understanding that this is what a lot of people are dealing with and like Stephanie said it's it's like anything when we go back to doing something we haven't done for a while we need to prepare and we need to practice so that um that any kind of anxiety about that can be reduced and there are some new things I think that are very unique to the lack of social exposure during COVID right so um, kids are concerned about germs. So it's not just about, am I doing the right thing socially? It's also, you know, is it safe for me to have my mask up? Is it safe for me to have my mask down? Um, should I still be distancing um, in a way that was recommended and, and for, you know, several, several months? And so there are some kind of COVID-specific contributions to this engagement. I, you know, I think kids and adults are still trying to figure out, like, what's the right balance of safety precautions um, and then engaging in life to find joy and meaning. Well, and there's a lot of, um, you know, a lot of us are similar in kind of our basic social expectations. And, and you know, some people are different in how close they stand when they talk and those kind of things. But um, the pandemic has really kind of divided a lot of people into some some families are have been extremely cautious, um, extremely isolated and are following um, all of the recommendations very closely while other families are not. And that's that's um, kind of like an individual family choice about how those things are done. But when we're bringing kids back together in different situations, now you have this this wide variety of, of comfort level with that. And, and, you know, depending on the age and the development of the child, sometimes they're going to lean more towards what the social group is doing. Um, other times they're going to lean towards what their family has told them to do. And that is something that can produce a lot of stress and anxiety for kids, um, especially the ones who are exploring social situations without their parents present. You know, and, and that's one of the things I wondered as well. Um, you have kids that are going to be reengaging socially without the presence of their of their uh, parents. And you mentioned teenagers a few times, and then I remember being a teenager. I didn't necessarily tell my parents everything that was going on in my mind, right? So when it comes to dealing with a kid that's going to be going off on their own, um, are there signs that maybe parents should look for uh, to to see that where maybe their kids are having some sort of anxiety? Yeah, I think a, a lot of it is um, kind of looking for the, the classic signs of stress, you know, um, difficulty sleeping, um, being on edge, um, irritability oftentimes um, accompanies it. Um, Complaints of headaches, stomach aches, kind of um, feeling uneasy um, are often kind of signs that, that the child is struggling a little bit with some anxiety. And yeah, in addition to some of those kind of body sensations, you might also see that kids are holding themselves up in their rooms more than you would have expected. And so if they're getting offers to hang out with friends and they're declining those offers, uh, if you notice that maybe their sleep 
patterns are disrupted in some way, that can be a sign that, you know, kids are thinking and worrying about things and they're just trying to figure it out. And so it's hard for kids to figure it out if they're not talking about it out loud. And so that was one of the things we were hoping to, you know, bring to light with the blog is we really want to create family systems that make it comfortable for everybody to be talking about how's this feeling to be out and about? What are your friends saying? What are your friends doing? Well, and I think normalizing it because, you know, um, we all have anxiety and and it's protective. I mean, this is this is what keeps us safe is having that, you know, uncomfortable feeling and saying, oh, this is not right or this is not safe. Um, we need to have that. Um, and so normalizing it for our kids to say, you know, gosh, you know, even kind of verbalizing that, you know, I went to the grocery store and there's a lot of people in there and I felt really uneasy um, or, you know, I'm vaccinated. But when I go to crowded places, I still want to wear a mask. You know, if you verbalize that in front of your child, it neutralizes anxiety, makes it normal for them and makes them more likely to talk about it as well. I see. Well, I mean, that's that's a great point. You know, that I guess the communication has to start with parents and making yourself vulnerable will help the kid open up. Um, what other strategies do you have for, I, I think, uh, making kids feel more comfortable and helping them cope with whatever um, social uh, anxiety issues that they're experiencing? I sort of think about managing anxiety as sort of like the slow and steady wins the race, right? And so rather than having kids have their normal summer routine and then hopping right back into the school year, it's thinking about what are some natural ways that you can start to create some exposure around um, spending time with other people. Now, like Wendy said, some families have been doing this the entire time. Um, and so for those kids, it might feel a little bit easier because they've been practicing. So, you know, if there are, if there are activities in the neighborhood that you feel like are safe, those are good options. You can also role play with kids. You know, kids have fantastic imagination. So, you know, you could role play and say, hey, you know, if one of your friends says, why are you wearing that mask? Or what's up with you today? <laughs> you might have a response that you could help them practice that. So that they're not like Wendy said, they're sort of like a deer in headlights. I don't know how to answer this question. Sure. Well, and I like to to also kind of just prep kids for the anxiety and say like, okay, you're going to feel, you know, this is natural to feel this way. And what are some ways that we can help our body feel comfortable? Um, so kind of practicing, like I said, some scenarios or situations or, or, you know, let's take a deep breath before we go on. Stopping, you know, have a pause, clear your mind, take a breath before you do something. You know, it's a good practice to do as a family and kind of as you encounter different things or you know if you drive up to a place before you get out of the car have everybody in the car takes a few you know slow breaths kind of reset and how do we want to play this right um and you know i love the role play scenario kind of taking little um, adventures you know let's go to a park that maybe has a playground that's more busy and kind of just kind of get the feel for it here and kind of slowly um, increase the the number of people that you're around or the situations that you're in. Um, so by the time they're kind of back in these school situations and other things, they're feeling more comfortable. 
Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, slow, slow and steady wins the race. Reintroduce slowly. You know, uh, put your social reengagement in a crock pot. <laughs> but, um, but no, and, and honestly, uh, I'll, I'll say that pausing and thinking about what you're gonna do beforehand is probably just good standard advice anyway. Um, whether you're having any sort of uh, anxiety issues or not. Um, you mentioned a lot about other families and you know what they've done throughout the pandemic and what they've done since things have reopened. Um, should parents be having conversations with other parents, you know, for instance, if someone's kid is going to be spending the night, should they talk to that parent first about, hey, look, what have you guys been doing? And, you know, and if so, like, how do we, how do you bridge those conversations? How do you start those? I think those are, um, those are important conversations to have. And I know as a parent, I've navigated this, uh, you know, several times um, for my child is, you know, kind of for one, I want to model for my child, like how to have that conversation and what to do. And so I like to talk with him what I'm going to say. And and so he understands how I approach it. Um, But also kind of, you know, I think some people are comfortable kind of talking about vaccine status, talking about what their preferences are for their children, and other people are very nervous about that. Um, And so it's kind of your individual kind of, you know, how you feel about it. What I like to do is um, put it on, I want your child. So if I talk to another parent, like, I want to make sure that your child is comfortable. I want to make sure you're comfortable. So let's have a conversation about what you've been doing. So, you know, if your child's coming to my my house, I can be, you know, um, I can honor what you want and that we can have an, you know, kind of an open conversation so there's no surprises and that none of the children are feeling uncomfortable with the situation. The other part to that I think is there's still a lot of uncertainty about COVID right now. And one of the hardest things for us as humans to emotionally, behaviorally navigate from a decision-making standpoint is what you do in the face of uncertainty. And I think that's an important thing to just put out there for your kids. Um, And when you're talking to other families to say, you know, this is kind of where we're at on this today. (laughs) We have full luxury to change our minds if we need to, because this is, this is not a, it's on and it's off, right? It's just a kind of moving process that we don't know how it's going to unfold. And so we don't have the ability to see the future, which in some ways is good, in some ways is not what we would want, um, but we can't see the future. And so we have to say, what are our family values? And how do we want to communicate this with other people, knowing that we may change our mind down the road? And that is okay, too. Well, and every every family has such a different situation, you know, and um, so for some of us in the medical field, like we're used to masking all the time, we're used to doing these things, we're very aware. We also are working with particularly vulnerable children, and so we have to have our guard up 
to protect our patients that we work with. Um, but other families have had very different experiences. If they're they're working from home completely and they don't um, aren't really going to the community, or they're in in um, environments where they're working outside, they're they're um, or some families are completely vaccinated, the whole family. Other ones, almost no one's vaccinated in it um, for different reasons. So, kind of understanding that every person you interact with has a different story, has a different situation. Um, and like Stephanie said, that uncertainty, that is the crux of all anxiety, right? Like um, is uncertainty and, and kind of knowing that it, we need to take it in the moment and day by day and kind of make those choices about where we are currently. Um, and as we know from um, kind of the news and everything, everything's changing um, on a daily basis. So I think that try not to plan too far out, um, but kind of, you know, have those discussions regularly um, and make those decisions based on where you're at at the moment. And to go back to one of the things that Wendy said earlier, one of the ways that anxiety shows up that we don't always think is anxiety is irritability. And so when you see someone that seems kind of like grouchy around COVID precautions and stuff, um, there may be an element of anxiety to some of that, like grouchiness um, and appreciating that everybody is in a different place based on different circumstances. And if you don't work in the medical field, I would not expect you to understand the fears that some of our families have when they have kids with a chronic illness. We know that, but I wouldn't expect other people to know that. I guess what we hope for is that people can take that pause and say, where might this person be coming from in this interaction right now? And I think that's that's something that, you know, um, you know, with this blog post, you know, kind of talking to families about how, you know, how we can model, how we can prepare um, those kids so that that for everyone's benefit, you know, so that we're sending kids out into these social situations. Um, kind of well armed um, to manage it and to navigate it um, for their benefit, but also for for the community at large. You know, so that people are understanding and and have some some tools um, to get through this reengagement that is hard for everybody. Are there other tips that you can share? Are there other resources for parents to make sure that you know, as a as a family? Um, we're all being a sort of addressing this particular issue and making it so that, as you said, Dr. Foligno, uh, that skill is improving over time. I think, you know, a couple points, um, you know, one is, you know, kids going back in, there's that, you know, social pressure, you know, that, that if, you know, how do, how does a kid, um, set up those boundaries or kind of follow those things. So, you know, how, how do they have a conversation with their own family members or, or keep up the boundaries that their family wants um, around those others? And a lot of times I, I'll, you know, encourage parents to be the bad guy and say, it's okay um, to 
make me the bad guy if you go out and people are doing things to say I'm sorry like my family or my mom or my dad that this is our family rule um, and in practice kind of those scenarios of giving that is it well it's kind of like when we talk about you know teenagers with peer pressure for other things it's it's um, giving them um, the words to use or kind of having even um, I've had some families who have like a code word or an indication if the child is feeling uncomfortable and doesn't want to speak up um, a way out for them to like, oh, like, you know, um, you know, that I think I think I want to go have a popsicle or something like that where they can go in um, and the and the parents kind of understand and like, okay, this is something that was uncomfortable for them. And we have a way out so that we they can feel like they're not put on a spot or made to stay in the situation that they're really uncomfortable with. There's also kind of resources, you know, that um, can help kids. So I think there's, there's the kind of normal um, kind of anxiety that we all have to this abnormal situation. Um, and then there's some kids who struggle beyond that, that it's, and then it's um, kind of affecting their daily life. It's impairing their functioning. So um, the kid who, you know, um, doesn't want to leave the house um, is um, or gets, you know, goes over to a play date, can't get out of the car because um, they're so nervous or, um, you know, real difficulties separating from parents, which because now they've been, you know, spent a lot of time with their parents and that's a difficult thing to be away from them. So if, if I think if people are seeing that their child is having kind of more than kind of what we consider a typical, um, you know, just jitters and discomfort and things like that, where it's really impacting them um, on a daily basis and, and, and making it hard for them to do the things they enjoy. Um, that's when I would kind of look for kind of more resources, either professional resources um, with a psychologist or some, some things that we have um, online, like for um, teenagers, there's the WISA app that we have through Children's Hospital that is, um, was designed during COVID for some of the anxiety. And also there's other kind of websites and information about just managing anxiety when it's considered more clinical, you know, that, that it's really more impairing um, and helping kids develop skills, not only like physical skills of managing how their body feels and the sensations, but also the cognitive skills, how to talk back. Um, the big thing that we do um, with people with anxiety is work on facing fears, you know, identify what the fears are and how do we help you um, face them and, and rather than retreat from them, um, which we know makes anxiety a lot worse. Along the lines of the resources, the WISA app is a really excellent resource. Um, the Children's Hospital website has a COVID-specific section, and we help develop a lot of the resources that are available there, and they are grouped for adults um, and, and for kids specifically. Um, you know, local libraries have really excellent books on emotion labeling um, and, you know, across the developmental span of little kids to teenagers to young adults to adults, like how do we just manage this anxiety in general? So we have some COVID specific resources. Um, and then I just think checking some books out at the library to be able to maybe do a little bit of self-help if that's the appropriate level of support that's needed. So I want to thank you for, you know, writing the blog post and providing all this information. Um, 
I will say that a lot of what you're saying sounds transferable. It sounds like these aren't just things that we can use just for re-engaging during or after or during the pandemic. <laughs> um, but even, you know, outside of this, you know, once this is all over, I mean, some of these are just in general, just really good skills, really good things to look for in terms of signs for anxiety. Am I, is that you're shaking Absolutely. your head? Yeah. Yeah. I think that, that um, you know, like we said earlier, anxiety is natural and important part of, of human existence and you know, that, that keeps us safe. And so these things can pop up in different, you know, um, situations, whether it's um, a personal trauma, whether it's a, um, you know, natural disaster in, in an area of the of the world that's affected by that, that, that creates, you know, a lot more uncertainty. But any situation, like Stephanie said earlier, that creates uncertainty is going to be accompanied by anxiety. Um, and so it's absolutely transferable because all of the things that, you know, whether it's, you know, deciding on, on a college to go to or um, applying for a new job, you know, um, all of those things are going to bring uncertainty that then brings anxiety. So, um, you know, when it comes to kids, this is kind of part of our parenting process. Like we want to equip kids um, to, you know, how can you deal with uncertainty? What do you do? Um, do you face it? And, and how do you prepare yourself to face it versus, you know, um, retreating from it or masking it or, you know, burying it deep inside? Like all of those things, um, I think, are so key for, for, you know, developing happy and healthy kids. You know, one of the foundational skills that we try to teach is, is primary awareness when you feel your heart race and your mind is saying, this is scary, I can't do it, we want to call that what it is, right? That is worry, that is anxiety. And then step two is to say, well, it's here. What do I want to do about it? And, you know, kids, teenagers, adults can all build their own coping toolboxes that are unique to them to help them feel better. And, you know, like Wendy has said, it's really important for us to understand that we are biologically programmed to have anxiety, right? So we don't get too close to certain cliffs, right? That's, that's really protective. Um, and as we have evolved as humans, our brains are constantly trying to problem solve, think ahead, plan ahead, look ahead, avoid inconveniences and those sorts of things. And sometimes our mind just sort of goes into overdrive and it's trying to control and problem solve and plan around a situation that just can't be problem solved because it's in the future. Sure. Well, and I also think, you know, with, with COVID, we've actually um, fostered anxiety, right? Like we've rewarded um, anxiety and, and protection. Um, and we've told people, be aware of your physical symptoms, be aware of your environment, be aware of people who are sick. I mean, you know, now if, if, if I'm out in public and someone coughs, like everybody turns and looks like it's a totally different scenario. And, and, um, if, if you're on an airplane and someone's refusing to wear a mask, like people, you know, these things we have been programmed over the last 18 months to be, very aware of threat and when we turn that volume up on the uncertainty and the the risk 
of threat, um, then we're all going to be more on edge. We're all going to be more anxious. And that's fine in short amount of time. But as humans, we're not designed to be that way long term. And so I think that there we're seeing now the long-term effects of high levels of stress anxiety um, across the age span. And I think that as we're approaching kind of re-emerging, you know, re-engagement, those things with our kids, we have to understand that all we are not at our best. None of us are at our best after 18 months of a pandemic. And so we're trying to kind of climb this mountain when we're when we're not kind of fully healthy in, in that way. And those are those are challenges that we're all in the same boat with, um, but recognizing that um, kind of managing anxiety when you come off of being rewarded and encouraged to have it is a difficult transition for anybody, but especially kids who have grown up with this over the last 18 months. Right. I, I think the term that you used in the blog post was that we've been practicing social avoidance. Right. So we yeah. became really good at that. And now we have to do a 180 and get really good at somewhat who we used to be before. So, OK, so we have a few questions from uh, some parents in response to the blog post. Guys, mind answering some of those? Sure. Sounds All right. great. All right. So the first question. How much socializing is too much? You're going to hear this from a lot of psychologists. <laughs> the answer is it depends, right? So we're kind of looking at um, where kids' temperaments are, where their social preferences are. We know that some kids are fairly socially you know, excitable and gregarious and outgoing, and kids, some kids are more timid. And so what we do is we watch to see how kids are responding to these social situations. If it seems pretty easygoing and they're kind of sliding in there and having fun, then we know we're all good. Uh, like Wendy said earlier, if we see that there are signs of difficulty separating, if they seem tearful, if they're kind of stepping back um, and holding back, that's a really good sign that kids aren't ready for that level yet. And I use the word yet a lot when I'm working with families on anxiety, is to say, we'll get there eventually. We probably need to slow down a little bit, or we might need to go backwards a little bit to then be able to get our momentum to go forwards again. Yes, and I think, you know, it's also um, kind of family driven and, and what your comfort level is with um, socializing. I, it's always best to kind of, as we said earlier, um, go slow, slow and steady. And so um, the, rather than kind of throwing them in the deep end when it comes to like a big social gathering, a lot of kids and those kind of things is start with maybe arranging, you know, a play date or, um, you know, a meetup of a few kids that you guys are comfortable as a fa as families kind of interacting and building from there. Like Stephanie said, being watchful of what their reactions are. And if you have multiple children, you could have you're going to have multiple reactions, you know, and so um, figuring out what that child's temperament is, how much social interaction do they need and do they want um, versus, um, you know, kind of looking for some of the signs that, that they're getting distressed and that they're struggling with that situation. How do you know when to 
sort of move on to the next step, especially if you take a step back. I know for a lot of parents, they'd be worried about, well, I don't want to do that again. I like to I like to have just regular check-ins with the kids. And, and for some, um, we'll do a number system and we'll do like zero to 10. Where How are you feeling? With 10 is you're freaking out, want to run, um, run away versus zero, you're totally chill. Um, and you know, take kind of take their temperature, so to speak. When you go in, like before the situation, what do you think this is going to be like? Um, you know, I, well, I mean, maybe it's five out of ten. And then when you go through it, then reevaluate after. What did what did it actually end up being? Oh well, this was like a zero. Like this was totally cool. Um, and then, but if it's like, oh, that was I was up to an eight or nine during that, then that tells you we need to go a little slower. Um, and and not that we're not going to do that. We're just going to take it a little slower and we're going to do some check-ins. Um, so I love the idea of, of checking in with kids um, and taking, you know, just taking a temperature from each of your children to, to see how those situations are going. And that's going to tell you if, if it's, if it's consistently zero, one or two, then you, you can be confident in moving forward in those. Um, but if it's spiking up um, to seven, eight, nine, you know, that that's, that's probably a little too fast um, and, and, and too much for the child at that time. And, I'm, I'm glad, Wendy, that you mentioned the word like confidence because that's a really, anxiety, anxiety is not the problem. It's the lack of confidence that people have in their skills to manage that situation that's bringing them anxiety. And so we just want to take the pace that allows kids, teens and adults to build that confidence to say, this anxiety is here, I know what it is. And for them to say, I've managed this before, I can do it again. That's a win. Yeah, I, I love the emphasis the two of you put on communication. Yeah, I, it's a beautiful thing when you can talk to your kids. Mm-hmm. All right, uh, next question. Are there tips or questions to ask child care locations before heading back there? You know, I, I think that um, when it comes to, you know, whether it's child care or school, the important thing is that you check in with them about what their rules and regulations are going to be so that you can prepare your child. Um, that if it's something where they're going to mask all the time and your child has not been masking all summer, you know, it's it's going to be important to prepare them for what is it like, you know, getting them practice on putting that mask in. And we have kids, you know, two-year-olds who are going around daycare with a mask on all day. They can do it with the preparation, with the reinforcement, with the modeling. And so if, you know, it's so important for families to know what their kids are going to be stepping into. And I know that that's hard right now because things are still in flux and changing and different recommendations from different um, health organizations and different school systems and things. So that's going to be changing, but trying to get the most um, up-to-date information from your child care center about what to expect, um, that, that's, that's going to help you prepare your child. And it's an opportunity to identify what you have control over, right? Because we don't have large control over what these mandates are going to be or not be. But we do have uh, some more control and responsibility of how we're going to cope with that, right? This this is a question from a parent as well, but it's this parent. What if your kid's the hugger? Is there any way to slow that down? <laughs> 
you know, personally, those are my favorite kids. Okay. So, um, that probably we assume comes from a family that's like deeply affectionate with each other. So we, we advocate for that if it feels healthy and safe within the family. I mean, Part of what we're trying to do with our younger kids is is to sort of um, civilize them a little bit to say other people like different things than you. What might be some of the clues that you can pick up on that people don't love hugs as much as you, right? So some people might back up, they might put their hands up. with everything for kids building the skills, it just comes with practice and a little bit of feedback, right? So some feedback might feel like, oh, you know, I didn't really like that feedback, but we all need different kinds of feedback to help, sh- you know, shape our behaviors up to be socially appropriate. Well, and I, I think, again, we come back to modeling, right? So, so like when you're out with your child saying like, um, is it okay to give you a hug? You know, just like now, a lot of people are, you know, bypassing handshakes or saying like, you know, I've had people say like, you know, I'm a hugger, is this okay? And so like saying that out loud or, or are you okay with a handshake? Would you prefer a fist bump, you know, a wave, like those kind of things. Um, I think that, that, that when we say those things and purposely saying it in front of a child, kind of exaggerating sometimes that, that conversation or that situation, um, so the child learns that we ask first. You know, that's a great skill for kids to develop is ask what somebody else wants rather than just doing what you want. We don't want to stifle a child's affection and, and, and what comes natural to them. It's kind of, but navigating those social situations of like, you know, it's always great to ask first. You know, we, you know, you really, you really like your friend a lot. You want them to feel comfortable, don't you? You know, and, and kind of putting it in that terms and they're like, oh yeah, I would hate for my friend to feel uncomfortable or to feel sad or feel hurt. Um, and putting in those contexts can really help kids kind of make those decisions. This has been a great conversation. Um, do either of you uh, have any final thoughts before we go? Well, thank you for inviting us. This has been really a fun opportunity to you know, share with our families and our community. My, my final thoughts would be, it's okay for each family to have their own belief systems and to have the things that matter to them matter to them. Kindness is really important. Understanding that people might have different beliefs and opinions than you. Um, That anxiety is a normal programmed thing in our body. It's when the volume gets turned up so high that it starts to affect us in places that that matter to us, whether it's work or school or relationships or our sleep, um, and that there are resources to help with this. And then finally, uh, being aware of anxiety and then creating a family environment where it's safe and nurtured to talk about these and to problem solve together. Yes, this is, uh, thanks Stephanie, this has been great conversation and um, hopefully um, helpful to um, 
you know, families in the community. I think that, you know, I would echo what Stephanie says is, is we want um, people to feel like they're, it's okay to have their own beliefs and, and to, to set their family up for success in the way they want to do things um, in terms of, of kind of navigating, kind of remembering that we're all human, that this pandemic, we're all in it. Um, and we all have different experiences with it, but um, we all are having similar um, angst, uncertainty, frustrations, and that it's okay to feel those things. And, and, and for our kids um, to continue to model and, and, and say how we're being affected as adults um, so that they understand that this is, this is normal and that they don't um, take it as something that they're bad or they're weak or they're um, incompetent in some way, that they're, ha they're struggling with this. You know, the struggle is real. We are, we're all in it. We're all kind of keep trying to keep our head above water. And if we can kind of, um, you know, give ourselves grace, you know, that this is difficult um, and give, you know, ourselves the patience and the self-care and things that, that um, our own oxygen mask needs to be put on for us to take care of our kids. And so I think that, that starting with our own self-care and what, what we need to do for ourselves, that's going to make us better parents um, and going to help us to be there for our kids when they need us. All right, excellent points. Thank you again, Dr. Filenu and Dr. Lopez for sharing your time and expertise today. Thank you for listening to season one, episode seven. This episode was recorded on July 22nd, 2021. The content of this podcast is for informational and educational purposes. Our theme music was produced by Stephen Grieco. This podcast was produced by Symphony Pitts. Thank you for listening and be sure to join us next week on the Cincinnati Children's Young and Healthy Podcast. Follow Cincinnati Children's on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter.